Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. As you can tell from my sermon title, what I'm probably going to be talking about today, being salt and light. Now, John 11.10 says, But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. In my house, I am the one who normally shuts off the lights on the way to bed each night. And most nights, I can do this with little to no disturbing the people who are already asleep, namely my children. Usually, I employ the use of my cell phone to help light the way as I walk through a darkened house. But now sometimes, by the time I go to sleep, the battery on my cell phone has died. And as much as I try to avoid hitting things, and I look and I plan, I always manage to hit something. And it's usually not quiet either, and so after I make a noise, I hold, ever so still, hoping, praying that the baby doesn't wake up. You with kids, you know what I'm talking about. Thankfully, he stays asleep most nights, but I'm guessing I'm not the only one who experiences this. Even in our modern world with our electronics and lighting, we are still people who stumble in the dark. As they have, or I lost my spot here. Here we go. Sorry. Uh, even in our modern world, uh, where'd they go? Wow. Pastor Bob, you want to get my coffee from in there? No, I'm kidding. We don't have developed night vision like our feline companions. Uh, we trip over things, we stub our toes, and this is a universal human reality. People all over the world, including the people all over our community, are constantly stumbling around in the dark. They may have the latest in high-tech energy-saving light bulbs, but spiritually? Spiritually, they're as much in the dark as the person that St. John is talking about in chapter 11, verse 10. If anyone walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. Oh, they say they know where they're going. And they feel their way around through life as best they can, but they can't see what's coming. And the fall can be more devastating than they ever anticipated. Scripture records for us in Luke 19 how Jesus stood on a hill overlooking the city of Jerusalem, and he just cried. He cried because the people were so blind and so clueless, bumping into the harsh realities of sin and death without comfort, without protection. How the Lord would gather them under his wing like a mother hen, but they were too proud or too willful to let him. Darkness happens. It's not a substance or a force to be welcomed or warded off. It's simply darkness is nothing at all. It's the absence of light. Darkness is the description of the universe before God said, let there be light. Darkness is the default when the lights go out. Without light, good people stumble. And bad people think they, they, they can cover up their evil deeds. The Lord broods over his world, which willfully casts itself into darkness by prideful humanity. And the Lord says to his church, let there be light. 
perhaps we're a bit spoiled here, that we can flick on a switch and turn on a light. The entire history of the world up until the 20th century, overcoming default darkness took a lot more effort. It meant starting a fire, lighting lamps of costly oil or candles. It meant messing with flints and rubbing sticks together and to get a spark to get that fire burning. Even our electric lights today cost, uh, require cost and effort. A generator somewhere is creating great amounts of energy to turn, and the power company is generating bills for each kilowatt we consume. In our gospel lesson today, in Matthew 5, Jesus says to his followers, You are the light of the world. And this is true. Because Jesus suffered the darkness of death. The darkness of being placed in a tomb for us. So that we could be that light. Set aglow by the fire of the Holy Spirit. And being ignited, we take our place in the world where the light will do the most good in keeping people on the path, without, uh, on the right path without stumbling. And it's not that we possess such brightness in ourselves, but that the light of Christ has been kindled in us and we reflect that light through us from his shining face. And so it's with this in mind that we can look again at our new vision that God has for us at South Shore Trinity, specific, specifically looking today at the what of our vision. And that what of our vision is being the light of the world. Last week, Pastor Bob discussed the who of our vision. And how about how that's all the lost people in the world. The, the Zacchaeuses of the world, the despised and the outcast. And not about ourselves. But the what of the vision this week is all about us. Us as agents of the light. In short, it's our strategy for carrying out our vision together. We as a church, as agents of the light, want to help people to see the truth. The truth about themselves, the truth about the world. We want to help them see Jesus as he reflects his love and his glory through us. Because it's the truth of God which set people free from the works of darkness it's the truth of God that, heavy, that lightens a heavy load. It's that truth of God that gives peace into your life. And it's to this truth that we testify as we let our light shine in dark places. In Matthew 5, Jesus announces that you are the light of the world. Notice the grammar here. It's in the indicative. It's, it's a statement about what is true. It's not an imperative statement that commands the audience to do something. He's not saying, you should be the light of the world. It's not a conditional clause here. If, if you're the light of the, uh, if you let your light shine, then the, light will, the world will see your light. He's not, he's not saying that, no. He's announcing a fact. You are the light of the world. But in order for that light to shine... And for our testimony to actually be heard, it needs to be accompanied with very concrete deeds, which people can see will help them lighten their loads. Prior to letting this light of truth shine, 
prior to letting this truth of forgiveness, of freedom, of eternal direction, we need to earn the right to speak it into somebody's life so that others may give glory to our Father in heaven. And this is where the salt of the earth comes in. And Jesus says also that we are the salt of the earth. We know what salt does, right? It makes food more interesting, more enjoyable. People in the world who think that they know where they're going, even though they're really stumbling in the darkness, they're frankly not interested. They're not interested in Jesus or his church. The whole thing to them seems that it amounts to being nice and behaving yourself and prohibiting anything that's fun. Fun being defined as things you do in the dark. The making of relationships, the deeds of kindness, the being there for each other in rough times. These are the things that taste good and make Jesus intriguing and real. And sadly, many a church has lost its saltiness. We get turned in on ourselves and we serve our own needs first. We find that doing good deeds is very tiring work and often thankless. And it runs the risk of starting to treat people like objects and not the subjects of our relationships. The salt starts to lose its flavor. So as we spice up our mission with the salt of good deeds, we're always intentionally pointing to Jesus as the author of those good deeds, the creator of all that tastes good. Now it's rewarding to help people and to add things of value to their life, but that is only part of the mission. We're called to be both salt and light. But that leaves the question, what would our strategy of being salt and light in this world look like for us as we begin to carry out our vision into our community? I'll tell you, there's certainly the possibility of seeing some new stuff around here. Stuff we've never done before. And as we think about the possibilities, it's important to know how they fit into the grand scheme of things. Now, some might hear this and think, okay, yes, that means we have a building project. And though we are building the kingdom of God, the focus really is that of relationships. Now, as there are different types of people, there will be certain things that will help certain people grow in their relationships that they have with God and with each other. And I can diagram that out in the, in the following way. I call it path, paths to discipleship. And it's plotted on two axes. Uh, the first axis on the left-hand side of the vertical one says personal impact. The one across the bottom says size and event of, event, uh, of an event or a gathering. And so as we start describing different opportunities, it's, it's going to be nice to see how they fit into that big picture. But before I get into that, I want to make this point. That there are new things here at the church, and they are not replacing the existing ministry already going on at South Shore Trinity. Many of the things we currently have are going to continue. Rather, the new stuff is intended to help reach new groups of people who have yet to know and believe in Jesus. So as we look at what impact we can have with new people, 
to God's kingdom, we start with what is called large net fishing events. And this includes Sunday worship. In the past, this was really the only net fishing event that would take place. The church in America, especially in the 1940s and 50s, even in the 70s and 80s, we would simply build a church, hang a shingle on the outside, and wait for people to come in. That isn't happening anymore. People aren't just coming in. So we, as fishers of men, get to take the net to where the people are in the community. And we get to start to engage them through meeting needs by being the salt of the earth. And what this looks like then are things like Servant Sunday we did last summer. Or maybe doing more movie nights or, or family fun nights. It might include expanding our vacation Bible school to maybe include an evening option in addition to just a morning option. It could even be something totally new, like offering a free pet care clinic. Who knows? These are the types of things that fall into that net, that large net fish or large net fishing event category. And yes, you can see there is an impact. But the impact isn't as much as say this second level or this medium to or small group events or regular gatherings. This category is defined by small group meetings that happen on a regular basis, addressing needs and growing spiritually together. As you can guess, this category requires a little more personal investment. Right now, it looks like Bible studies that have been meeting for years, except maybe, maybe inviting and adding some close friends of those who are already attending. It might mean the creation of a new men's group who serve together on projects or have times of fellowship together. Maybe it's the start of a new stay-at-home mom's group. This category of smaller events can even include encouraging our members to host a neighborhood block party where we provide them with all the needed materials like plates and napkins and a gift card to buy the meat to make it easy. It could even, get, it could even be getting some friends together to participate in a volunteer opportunity like serving in a soup kitchen or packing meals that feed my starving children. A lot of options in this medium group here. And then we get to the smallest category, the one with the most impact, and that is the one-on-one -on -one or the two-on-one -on -one personal discipleship or witnessing opportunity. <coughs> this, this is that connecting with somebody on a very personal level, and hopefully it is connecting people with Jesus on a very personal level. You see, God will create these opportunities for one-on-one -on -one or two-on-one -on -one discipling or witnessing because he's already at work in the lives of the people that we'll be interacting with and growing in relationship with. It's just a matter of fearlessly or, or bravely stepping into these conversations. And by the way, the way that I define the word brave for my kids is being scared but doing it anyway. So as your pastor, I encourage you to all be brave in your conversations about God. You can be scared, 
but do it anyway. And just a quick thank you to those that are already doing this. Because ultimately, the goal of each of these three categories is to facilitate the forming of new relationships. And like I said earlier, the ideas that I've shared, also, they're all simply possibilities of what South Shore Trinity might look like as we journey together toward this new vision. But the forming of relationships is key. It's that being a warm and inviting and welcoming church where people can start to feel like family. If you've had an idea for ministry that you'd like to make happen but weren't sure as to when the right time would be to do it, let me tell you that perhaps now is the time. Because the key to reaching new people as God builds his kingdom through us is you folks. You who are already in the kingdom the ones who are the ones who get the opportunity to serve and to share, to be the salt and the light as Jesus has called you to be. But it's possible that you may feel woefully underprepared for this in your life, or you might be apprehensive about actually doing this, or it might be that you just don't want to. I've heard it said that people are like Legos. They only have a certain number of spots to connect with others, and when those spots are full, sorry, the new Lego they meet is out of luck. There will be no connecting. Now, some people have lots of spots, others only a few. But once they're full, it's hard to make room for one more connection. But God has a way of growing you in ways you didn't know you could grow. And I pray that all of you will allow for a new connection to be made. And after having some conversations with people here in this church about our vision, I also learned that it's very possible that you might feel like you don't know anyone who isn't already a Christian. But there are people that you might interact with daily or weekly or monthly that you wouldn't initially think about developing the already existing relationship. Some of these people might be your mail carrier or the person in the cubicle at the door uh, next door to you at work. It could be your hair cutter or your barber. The thing is, we're creatures of habit, aren't we? And so there are people that we see on a very regular basis. Maybe it's the cashier where you get gas every week, or the waiter or waitress at the restaurant you frequent. Oh, and by the way, if, if you want to do any sort of talk about God with your waitress or waiter, can I just say you need to be tipping at least 20% <laughs> regularly, no matter how bad the service is. And these conversations that you might have can be as easy as saying something like, we're going to pray before our meal. And we were wondering if there's anything you'd like us to pray about. Most times, the waitstaff says yes, and they're very appreciative that you've asked the question. Maybe it's the fellow parents at a sporting event or the coach of your kid's team. Learn their names. Remember them. And one thing, other thing I'd like to note is that it's possible that the people that God is putting into your life to do this with, they might not look like you. They might have colorful hair, or tattoos, or smell of cigarette smoke. They might dress casually or have interesting piercings. 
That's okay. God loves them too. And the beautiful thing about the forming of these new relationships is that it all starts with listening. Asking questions and being genuinely interested in the answer. Listening is an essential part of forming new relationships. Listening to others says that we care. It says to them that we value their experience and opinions. Listening says we take them and their needs seriously. And as we hear about their needs, we will be better able to serve them in ways that are relevant to their unique situation. So then over time, as the relationship ripens, a two-way street develops. Our new friends will want to know more about us, what we value, what we need. At this stage, we trade, relation, or trade information and, and, begin, and begin to trade what we have for what we need and on both sides of the relationship. And trading will lead to trust. Trust that emboldens our new friends to at some point ask the question, so what's your story? And hopefully, hopefully the story that you tell them about who you are is a story about Jesus. But it will not be in biblical fact and theology that they'll be interested. They will want to know the salty stuff in your Jesus and me story. They'll want to know how you came to be who you are, for bad or for good. They want to know how you became a sinner, but also somebody who is forgiven, who has peace, who can deal with what life gives. On one hand, I'd like to tell you exactly what the future will hold when it comes to our vision, but you all know I can't. On the other hand, if we encourage one another if we see where the Holy Spirit leads us, and ultimately as a body of believers with a shared mission and vision, we can get the opportunity to pray for one another. As we have opportunity to live out our vision, please, please, please share with your close Christian brothers and sisters in Christ individual people to which you are intentionally being salt and light. Take time together to lift them up in prayer. Unlike the who of the vision, the what of the vision is all about us. Or more accurately, all of us are all about Jesus in us. Because we are the vessels of that strategy. Each of us, as individuals, taking the initiative to go out into our community with the intentionality of serving our neighbor. And behind the individual initiatives, however, is the gathered body of Christ. Empowered by the Holy Spirit to support and equip and encourage one another in the carrying out of this great commission of our Lord. And what we do in Jesus' name is never without consequence. We can expect many of those who are encouraged by our salt and light to join us in time and in eternity. So that what was said in Isaiah 9-2 can be said also about them The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in the land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. Amen. And may the peace of God, which passes all understanding, guard your hearts and minds. In Christ Jesus, our Lord.